Father, we ask you for the Holy Spirit. Uh, you tell us to do that. How much more will you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so on behalf of craving hearts in the room, God, on behalf of us who are confused and need clarity, we ask you uh, for the greatest gift we could ask for, which is your Holy Spirit. God, I state right now that I am certain because you have told us that your word will not return void. So I pray that you would speak it to us as a community and you'd speak it to us as families and you'd speak it to us as individuals. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So here's a question I have for each of you in this room. Do you ever sit and ask yourself the question, why am I here? Why am I here? Now, my bet is that many of you thought, okay, here we go, he's asking some grand philosophical question. I mean, actually, in the seat you're in right now, do you ever go, why am I here? Here's the very direct way to say it that's even stronger on football Sunday. Like, why am I at church? That's the question. Like, literally, why am I here? Why am I at Redemption Peoria? Why am I listening to this guy? I don't know. He already doesn't sound very good. I don't... I don't honestly even like preaching. These people drive me crazy. Like, why am I here? Or if you're a regular, you may go, oh, because I'm a churchgoer. But why? Like, why do we get up and continue to move through these doors? I was reading a chapter out of a book called Creative Ministry last night, and this question got posed, and I thought, man, this is where a lot of people live. It's like, am I going to go? Am I not going to go? And then when you're here, why am I even here? And then when you leave, you're like, was that even worth it? Um, and this author said this, people continue to show up to something that many of us don't like because people have a lasting desire to come to an insight about their own condition. People show up because they have a lasting desire to come to an insight of their own condition and of the condition of their world such that they can be free to follow Christ, that is to live their lives just as authentically as he lived his. That's the phrase that captured me, is that we show up to get insights into me. Like, what is this? Why do I constantly struggle? In the chapter just before Romans chapter 8, Paul has this very famous discourse where he says, why is it that the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do? Now, there's different interpretations of that, but the truth is that is the testimony of everybody in this room. Why is it that I really don't want to be fat, but I don't work out? And why is it that what I don't want to do, continue to eat M&Ms, I do? <laughs> and so when Paul goes, oh, wretched man that I am, I'm like, I'm a Christian. I say that stuff all the time about something as simple as eating or the way I parent my kids. So we show up because we go, I want insight into that, into my condition, and then into the world, because it seems nuts. Can I get an amen? Amen. But then there's the sense of, but then I look at the person of Jesus, and I go, could I honestly live free enough to live as authentically as that? Because deep down, Christian or non-Christian sitting in this room, we're like, I want that. I want to live that authentically. The passage we're in today, Romans chapter 8, begins to give us a real entrance into that type of authenticity, that type of freedom, and that type of 
awareness. So I'm going to read Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8 in the NIV, and then I'm going to read it in something called the Kingdom New Testament. So listen as these words are read over you, um, because the words are brilliant, and then we'll go through and kind of pull them apart. So Romans 8, 5 through 8. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Now, I'm going to read you out of a different translation. This will be the third time you've heard this passage read. So right now, you can't read along with me. you just got to listen. So sit and absorb this. Look at it like this. People whose lives are determined by human flesh focus their mind on matters to do with the flesh. But people whose lives are determined by the Spirit focus their minds on matters to do with the Spirit. Focus the mind on the flesh and you'll die. Focus it on the spirit and you'll have life and peace. The mind focused on the flesh, you see, is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. In fact, it can't. Those who are determined by the flesh cannot please God. Those who are determined by the flesh cannot please God. So here's the reality. This whole passage is we look into this reality of wanting insight into ourselves, insight into our world, and then the ability to be free, this statement of life and peace that we aspire to, to live as authentically as the man Jesus Christ lived his life. In a very real way, it is all about how we think. So here's what we're going to break this down, is the importance of thinking, the types of thinking, and the outcomes of We'll say good thinking, okay? The importance of thinking, the types of thinking, and then ultimately the outcomes. So here's the first reality on the importance of thinking. The Christian life is all about thinking. Now, that may, you may wrestle with that reality, but the way in which the Bible speaks about the mind shows the importance of thinking. What we set our mind upon on a consistent basis matters. The mind matters. In contrast to so much other spiritual thinking out there that really is at this point, especially in a highly anxious age, this moment of where it's like, can you get in these spaces to ultimately empty your mind is where you'll find freedom. The historic Christian teaching and the teaching of the Bible says that's actually not true. That doesn't mean we aren't supposed to get to points of rest, stillness, and silence. But how we think, what we dwell upon on a consistent basis, is unbelievably important to the experience of life and peace, to the experience of communion with God and being able to please God, like the passage says. There is unquestionably, scientifically proven, and biblically stated, a connection between our behavior and our thinking. Now, regardless of who you are in this room, regardless of what your faith convictions would be or lack thereof, you believe this. 
There is a connection between your thinking and behavior, and here's how you know. If you've ever raised kids or been around young kids and they do something dumb, do kids do dumb things? Do kids do dumb things, amen? What do we say? They do something dumb and what do we say? Loud. What are you thinking? thinking? <laughs> that proves right away. We know inherently there's a connection between thinking and behavior. How could you be that dumb? <laughs> what in the world are you thinking? There is a connection between thinking and behavior. Now there's a reality that many times we think about thinking in a far too simplistic way. The Bible uses this term, and in this passage, the word mind is used. And it's used five separate times. If you set your mind upon the flesh, if you set your mind upon the spirit, those who set their minds upon. So when you have a moment like that, and in the Bible, a word is used a lot of times. There are these incredible tools now that used to take people hours by going through books, and there was these things called a Strong's Concordance. They're called word studies. There's a simple app on your phone called Accordance, A-C-C-O-R-D-A-N-C-E, Accordance. And you literally look up a Bible passage, and I can look it up. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds. And then I just press on minds on my iPhone, and this whole thing about what the word actually means in the Greek. So here's what it says. To think, to mind, to be of opinion. To take thought, to be considerate. Now this is where I like it. To entertain sentiments or inclinations of a certain kind. So here's what I mean. It isn't just thinking like, oh, I had a thought. But it's actually the thing that sets the course of the way we view everything, that develops our sentiments and our inclinations. What we ruminate on would be another word. What we meditate upon, what we're constantly drawn back to, and that's actually the language here. Those who habitually churn over in their heads and their guts these types of thoughts. That's the idea of thinking. That's the type of thinking, the mind being set upon something that is incredibly important that has specific outcomes all the time, over and over and over. Now, here's the truth. There's a whole industry now around the truth of this in our world. So have you guys ever heard of the book Mindset? It's very famous. If you go to Instagram and type in Mindset, all these different accounts will show up. That your mindset, anybody familiar in here with the mindfulness movement, right? This is a movement, these are movements being started actually by neuroscientific research. So if you struggle with anxiety at a significant level, you decide to go to counseling, many times they'll turn you on to cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a way that if you can control your thoughts, it will impact your emotions, which ultimately will affect your behavior. Thinking matters. And the Bible says the exact same thing. This is where the Bible and what's being said in our world are congruent. We don't have to argue with that. Thinking is incredibly important. What you set your mind upon. 
Now, hear the way I said that. What we set our mind upon is about intention, not just going with the flow. There is a habitual decision to intentionally set your mind upon something. And what you set your mind upon matters unto life. So the language this author, the Apostle Paul, uses here, and then very strongly in Romans 12.1. So bracket here. I've made a decision today to not put any verses up there other than the ones we're in, which is only three. Five, six, seven, eight, four. <laughs> Romans 8, 5 through 8 is all I'm going to have up there. Here's my encouragement to you. If you have notes, write down. He just said Romans 12, 1. That's the passage where Paul says, therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. But that whole theme came out of do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may know what the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God is. He's speaking about the mind, and he's saying there is an intention that goes about how you get your mind to be transformed accurately that would lead us to life and peace. So here's the first statement. I want you to shake your head if you got this. Thinking is important. Amen? Amen. Okay, can you say it back to me? Thinking is important. Okay, we got that one. Thinking is important. It sets your lens and the lane you're going to walk through. That's worthy to write down. The lens you see through, the lane you walk in, is all about what you set your mind upon. It is the lens and the lane. This is now where the passage gets into the types of thinking. I'm a pretty, per personally, so you guys know me, I'm kind of a big picture thinker. I see connections between things. I'm the guy that someone will make an argument, I'm like, eh, it's more complicated than that. <laughs> it's far more nuanced than that. Right, that drives kind of classic linear A and B thinkers crazy. Like it either is or it isn't. So Paul drives me a little nuts right here because he basically says there's two ways to think. And I'm like, Paul, there's way more than two ways to think. That's, that's kind of crazy. But it actually is really helpful of what he's saying. But he says there are only two primary ways of thinking. So here's the way Paul speaks about two primary ways of thinking, the flesh and the spirit, which in Paul, he's saying, because we just said thinking matters, right? And it affects your emotions and affects your behaviors, the outcome. So he's saying there's really only two ways of thinking, which really is two ways of living. The flesh, which is us in our natural, sinful condition, and the spirit. So I want to submit this to you right now, and I'll build out this argument. At the core, the flesh is about self-centeredness, and the spirit is relational. There is a contrast between flesh and spirit. Self-centeredness is the flesh. Relational is the spirit. But he's laying out there really is only two ways of thinking. And as, as he said that, and I was a little frustrated, I thought, well, I do this to my kids a lot right now. So my two older boys play baseball. They're both on the varsity baseball team at Chandler High School. So I have a junior and a freshman and their team's really young and so they have these moments where they're losing a lot and there's this rival that in Chandler it's called the Battle of Arizona Avenue if any of you guys know of the East Valley so just to the south of Chandler High School is Hamilton High School 
And the truth be told, don't tell my boys I said this, but Hamilton High School's baseball team is way better than we are. <laughs> like, they're really good. They have 10 Division I commits. They're really good. So one of my son gets in the car the other day after they lose to Hamilton, and he's like, we are not their rivals. And I thought I'd be a bad dad if I was like, well, you're actually right. Like in baseball, football maybe, but baseball, you're right. Um, but I didn't say that, and here's what I said to him. I go, one of the biggest problems when you're in a program like you're in is that you guys begin to take upon yourself this like little brother syndrome. Like we're always gonna get beat up. Like you may bow up at the beginning, like I got you, but deep down you're like, we're gonna get crushed. And I said, okay, when you have a moment of defeat, and I give him two options, that can either depress you or drive you. And I said, Braden, here's the problem. So much of you in your life is you have these moments where you go, I wish I was on a winning team. I wish I was producing more than that. So I said, just like depress or drive, you can wish or you can work. They are not the same thing. Wishing that would happen or working for that to happen are not the same thing. What I love in that as a dad is I'm trying to give him agency and responsibility. You can go at it. Well, here, Paul is putting in front of us. There's two options. You can set your mind on the flesh or you can set your mind on the spirit. And then he gives very direct Outcomes, But before he gets there, we got to kind of orient ourselves more about what does it mean to set our minds on the flesh? Because when you sit in a Christian circle, there's a lot of times preachers will preach in a way that it just presumes you know what setting your mind on the desires of the flesh means. Or you know what setting your mind on the desires of the spirit means. Like, that sounds interesting. That sounds, that's deep. Like, that sounds deep. But what does that actually mean? So here's the reality. When you get into flesh and spirit, there's a tendency in many of us to begin to think what God is talking about is like the stuff of earth, the flesh is bad. The body is bad. That is not even close to what the Bible teaches. So much so that in the resurrection, we have bodies. So the body isn't bad. When the body here, and when Paul's talking about the flesh, it isn't that the body is bad. It's how the body has been corrupted. So think about it just first. When you think flesh, you think physical. And the physical body, our physical bodies waste away. Anybody that's like gotten past 28, can I get an amen? Like, wow, this is true. This is not the same. Right? I, I play catch with my boys now, and I'm like, I've never had this much pain in my life. Like, this is crazy. Like, your body begins to have this corrupting effect because of sin in the world, the Bible would say. But there is this entropy, which means decrease, dying away over time. It's as true morally, we'll say it that way, is that morally speaking, we want to do good, but we don't do good. There are things we don't want to do that we do. That is the flesh, the corrupting nature of sin even that goes contrary to our conscience, what we know is good, what we know we should be doing, that we're not doing. That's the flesh. So the flesh isn't about body or stuff being bad. The spirit is the work of God to renew our consciences, to turn us unto the things we know are right and true, to turn us from self-absorption unto God and other people. The way Augustine talked about the flesh is that sin, with, because that's what the flesh is, is sin. 
That's why some translations call it the sin nature. They don't even say flesh in the Bible. They say the sin nature. Some of your translations may say this. Augustine said what sin is at the core is a radical curvature inward. You guys remember the old character Gumby? You know, kids now have those like, I don't know, what do they call them? They're like real bendable toys, but they'll be like a, it's like, I used to have a Gumby one and it was, and you could turn it like this. So imagine those toys that are like rubber, but they stick and stay. Somebody give me, what's an example of one now? What's that? I don't, yeah, but that, whatever, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't hear what it was, but so like I would have this Gumby and you could turn his face directly in like this. People call it navel gazing. Augustine said sin is a radical curvature inward. So now the flesh turns us inward and we too do all of these vile types of things. So here's another passage. If you have a Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 5. And in Galatians chapter 5, there's this famous passage on life in the spirit. Same author speaking about the same thing. So my title in Galatians 5 is the title of our series, Life in the Spirit. But he says this. He's trying to say live by the Spirit, which is the same thing as Romans chapter 8. But then he says this, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Now, if you're the person that sits in this room and like, I've never been a part of an orgy, you must be living in the Spirit. <laughs> There's a, there's a long list there, okay? So don't, don't write yourself off too fast. Here's what I recommend. When you read a section like that, this is where there's an app on your phone called YouVersion that you have access to like, I don't know the number, but it's like 50 plus versions. When you can go down and if some of those words seem like idolatry, I don't know what that word means. Go in and look at other versions the message by Eugene Peterson, and it'll begin to color, and you'll find yourself implicated to setting your mind on the flesh. Envy, wanting what other people have. That's being deeply discouraged by the fact that you don't have stuff that you really think you need. Dissensions. Anybody have any relational division in your life? I have like truckloads of it. Like mine, mine just keeps going and going dissensions, divisions, every kind of vile practice. When we turn in on ourselves, all of these types of things happen. And foundationally and fundamentally, there is a massively different view of power, which every individual has at some level, agency in your own life, power, opportunities that you have in the world, there's a massively different view when you're curved in on yourself, like Augustine says sin is, where righteousness is a focus upon God and others. It's the greatest of all the commandments. Love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. So a simple way to think about the flesh is in an image, it's like this. A simple way to think about life in the spirit is seeing God in the face of your brothers and sisters, in the face of your parents, in the face of your children, in the face, Jesus says, of your enemy, that we see God in the lives of other people. So those who live according to the Spirit live their lives 
with their minds on the things of God, with their minds on the Spirit. It's this radical orientation of God and others. So now, here's another passage I want you to turn to, a famous passage. If you've been around the Bible much, if you haven't been around the Bible much, when I say something like famous passage, just go, there's famous things in a lot of industries. I haven't been around this one much, so I'm going to learn it. Philippians chapter 2, there is a passage in which this same author speaks about I got to make sure I'm getting there. Um, speaks about the mind as well. Philippians chapter 2. Now, I want you to follow in Philippians chapter 2 because there's this famous section where he talks about Jesus being in the form of God, didn't count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Now, let me again talk to you. We talked about the importance of thinking. Now we're talking about the types of thinking. So this specifically is a passage speaking about what setting our minds on the desires of the spirit look like as it plays out in human relationships, community. Paul says this in Philippians chapter two, verse one. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Now, in a society like ours where everybody disagrees and fights about it on social media and in the streets and over the dinner table, this pursuit of like-mindedness, unity, oneness, feels like a need, amen? amen. So he says, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing. So what is setting your mind on the spirit look like? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So you see what he's saying? He's setting up the mindset of the spirit in the context of union with each other, oneness with each other, like-mindedness, oneness in the spirit. He's saying unity matters. Not uniformity, right? But unity in the midst of diversity that we would pursue if we are in Christ on opposite sides of the political spectrum. Even if you like the Kansas City Chiefs and they make me want to puke. Right? In Christ, there is no barbarian, Scythian, slave free. Here, there's no male or female, Jew or Gentile. But here, Christ is all and in all. Is that you go, what is setting your mind upon the spirit look like? Immediately, it gets into divisions and dissensions and goes, we have to sit at a table together. We have to breathe. We need to relationally engage each other. That life in the spirit means, but that would be really uncomfortable. But it's in the spirit. So the flesh says, when I experience relational tension and division at work, in my neighborhood, in my family, in my church, and I'm turned in, I'm like, this is uncomfortable, and I go, peace. And I leave, and the divisions get longer and broader. He says life in the spirit demands a mindset in Philippians chapter 2, that is a mindset that values humility. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Now, here's where, no matter how black and white Paul seems, he's right. That 
is not the way our world trains us to think. At every level, every impulse inside our fleshly sinful nature is to go, when someone goes, you're wrong, you go, no, 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 wait a minute, you're wrong. You don't understand the full story. It's always about winning. The crazy part about Jesus is he wins through losing. Jesus wins through losing. This is where this incredible famous poem in the early church was said, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Think about this. He is God. And everybody's like, play it, man. Like, you're God. Use it. And he goes, in, being in the very form of God didn't count equality with God as a thing to be grasped to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. So think about this. In all these moments when you're hearing me talk about what I'm talking about, flesh, the two ways of thinking that lead to our behaviors, and you're sitting there evaluating inside the desires, because that's the language he uses in Romans chapter 8. Those who have their mind on the Spirit set their desires on things of the Spirit. Those who are of the flesh set their desires on the things of the flesh. The flesh's desires are me and win at all cost. I got to be right. The desires of the Spirit are humility, service, and love. Let's make it simple. Humility, service, and love that comes out in Philippians chapter 2. So when you're evaluating the turmoil inside of you, and Paul's saying, when that turmoil's happening and it's this war of flesh and spirit, which Paul says in other letters is actually set up divinely, sovereignly by God, that the flesh would desire what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh so that we wouldn't just do whatever we want to do. So this wrestle inside you when you're like, man, my wrestles to prove myself right, my wrestles to win, they're not giving me my due. Setting your mind on things of the spirit would be the deep breath and going, Lord, I know the values of the kingdom of God the movement of the Holy Spirit in my life is leading me to consider their needs is more significant than my own. The movement of the Holy Spirit allows me in a world and in my fleshly desires that says win to be willing to lose for the sake of unity. Everything in my being that wants to be served right now, the Spirit gives me the power to wash feet and to be a servant. Then all of a sudden, when you go, what is holiness? Holiness cannot be defined outside of relational engagement. The fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All these things that convict us in the middle of these moments are the things that lead to liberation and freedom, which is why in Romans chapter 8, he says, those who set their minds on the things of the Spirit experience life and peace. But those who set their minds 
on the things of the flesh get death. This is the outcomes. It's a life or death situation. Legitimately, it's a life or death situation. And this is why so many people walk around like the walking dead. Because they live in the flesh, radically turned in on themselves, disregarding when at all costs, proving myself, never being wrong. It's where we get all these words like insecurity and narcissism. And that's all just an absorption in the flesh that fundamentally doesn't believe it is better to give than it is to receive. The outcomes are life or death. It's God's way, the spirit, or the flesh's way and the world's way. So let me just say this as a parting statement. When you're sitting in those moments, it's really hard in a moment. This is some of the greatest research on the mind is basically the idea that nobody makes a decision in a split second moment. Nobody does. You actually have trained yourself over a period of time that when the moment comes that we have to make a decision, you make it based upon what you've set your mind upon over and over and over again. So there are moments where you're feeling it inside where you gotta slow down and do it, but a far better way to do it would begin to be to develop a practice. There's a guy that's really famous, um, has become pretty famous, named James Clear, who wrote a book called Atomic Habits. So these habits in our lives that shape us and form us, I'm gonna give you just one simple one that relates to the spirit, setting your mind upon the spirit. There's these two passages, one in Ephesians and one in Galatians that many times uh, pastors or people that study the Bible connect with each other because it's the same result. They say there's a result of singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. One of the passages says, be filled with the spirit. The result is you'll have incredible community with people, community that's singing, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, enjoying each other, experiencing life and peace. So one is the input is be filled with the Spirit. The other one is let the Word of God dwell in you richly, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, if you were just doing math, the way you were taught to do math, the answer is the same thing, right? Be filled with the Spirit, let the Word of God dwell in you richly, you'd say what? Those are basically like the same thing. So what's a way we can be filled with the Spirit? So I've made a combination. I've listened to kind of the mindfulness movement. There's these moments where they'll talk about when you're dealing with depression and anxiety. Sit down, and they'll literally talk about like, this is going to sound weird to some of you, but just follow me for a second. I'm giving you a practice as you leave. So they'll say like, sit down, and I'm trying to deal with my anxiety, depression, whatever, and they'll go sit, and then they'll... You, you may have heard this body scans, but there's this one where they'll talk about like from your toes, feeling almost like hot liquid, slowly, like it's in your toes. There's this really calm voice. It's in your toes, and now it's in your feet, and now it's in your heels. And I had this moment as I was sitting there one day, like this feeling that I'm setting my mind upon right now must be what Paul's talking about when he says be filled with the Spirit is this sense of like this feeling, like spirit take me over. So when I'm doing well, which oftentimes I don't practice my habits, but when I'm doing good, I'll have these moments, but then I'll always tie it to this, these words. So I'll take certain passages and just sit and churn on them, which one may be, okay, I'm gonna sit and I'm gonna literally experience this. So it's not simultaneously, but I might get to right about midway through my quad and go, those who set their minds on the spirit 
have life. Those who set their minds on the flesh have death. And then I just taught this message, so I'll think, the spirit is an orientation to God and others that emphasizes humility, service, and love. God, as you fill me with your spirit, let me, this is a very common prayer I pray with myself and with my kids. God, fill us with your spirit today that we would display the fruit of the spirit and not gratify the lust of the flesh. And then I'll just continue. And that warmness comes up through. And for me, all it is is giving a physical experience to a reality God commanded me be filled with the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we pray uh, right now that you would fill us with your Spirit, that we would be a community that displays the fruit of the Spirit. God, let redemption be a Peoria, be a community of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. God, root out division and dissension and the vile practices that we so easily fall into. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. In his name we pray. Amen.